I Will Trust Brexit Focus with Paul Goslin and Jared Dean. Welcome to the Brexit Focus podcast from Hollywell Trust. Uh, my name is Jared Dean and joined as always by our Brexit expert, Paul Gosling. Paul, how are you? Hi, Gerard. Uh, exercised and interested by recent events, really. I'm sure we've a lot to get through today. So we need to place this uh, recording in context. This is recorded about lunchtime on Tuesday the 28th of May. Not all EU election results are known as of this point, uh, particularly in Ireland. Um, and I think it's also useful that we run through a bit of the chronology since our last podcast, Paul, because it's been very busy, I think. It's very yes, hectic. <laughs> okay. So I think in order, I think the major things that have happened in the last month, uh, firstly, was the collapse of talks between the Conservatives and Labour. Um, we then had British steel forced under liquidation, blaming Brexit for that, and that has put 5,000 direct jobs in threat and 20,000 plus support jobs as well. Uh, we've also had the small matter of Theresa May announcing that she's to step down as leader of the Conservative Party on the 7th of June, which will then lead to uh, the leadership process underway within the Conservative Party um, selecting a new leader and thus a new Prime Minister and there's 13 candidates for that and then last week starting on the 23rd of May we've had the EU Parliament elections and the one thing that's happened and the one constant in that is the deal hasn't changed <laughs> the deal is still the same Paul so oh, that's how we chat about each of those maybe uh, collapse of talks was it ever realistic that the Conservatives and Labour could reach a deal? Not really, and uh, the EU elections have made that even less realistic. No, it it wasn't achievable, I think. Mm. Um, For the Labour Party, they were very concerned not to be blamed for the mess around Brexit, and they want a general election, and they don't want to help the government avoid a general election, and they're very happy to allow Theresa May to be portrayed as a weak leader. So I think for all those reasons, and actually if you look less at the political Political cynicism and more at the underlying truths than what the Labour Party wanted from Brexit is different from what the government wanted for Brexit. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, it's what Boris Johnson called Brexit in name only, but I know, uh, you know, that broadly the Labour Party wanted uh, some form of freedom of movement to be retained, uh, citizens' rights to be retained here from other EU nations. Uh, They wanted continued membership of the Customs Union and they wanted a a continuing close relationship with the single market. Those things are incompatible with the red lines that Theresa May laid down and they're also incompatible with anything that was acceptable to the majority of the Conservative Party in in Parliament. So I think on that basis, no, the deal, the conversations were never realistic. Okay. So we've ended up in a position where the Conservative Party is now going through a process to select a new leader. 13 different candidates. What do you think is going to happen there? Well, the first thing to understand is, yes, uh, uh, Theresa May resigns as leader of the Conservative Party at the beginning of June. Uh, She is expected to leave post as Prime Minister in the middle of July. Mm. Uh, And that's because there is now this uh, beauty contest amongst Conservative MPs. Uh, 13 so far have indicated they want to uh, stand. Uh, I think there's additional ones that are being announced today. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, uh, two of those 
are to be shortlisted by MPs and that would then go out to members of the Conservative Party. And there's a bit over 100,000 of those, uh-huh. uh, many of whom joined quite recently from the United Kingdom Independence Party, UKIP. And that gives you an indication of where their political loyalties and beliefs lie. Uh, clearly, the Conservative Party as a whole is to the right of the general population of the United Kingdom. It's also to the right of the Conservative MPs. Mm. And we know that because there was uh, an opinion poll survey done of members of the Conservative Party uh, more than half of them uh, wanted uh, a no deal outcome and three quarters of them preferred a no deal outcome to staying within the European Union so there's a strong right wing base within the Conservative Party Mm. and that will influence the way MPs pitch their case to the party membership in order to get selected, elected as as initially leader of the Conservative Party and then as Prime Minister. We have to say of course that it's not necessarily that the leader of the Conservative Party becomes Prime Minister. There is some sort of vague possibility, a slim chance that if you had say a very right-wing leader uh, elected by the membership, then actually a number of Conservative MPs would resign their membership of the Conservative Party. Uh, Conservative Party already does not hold a majority within the House of Commons, and so there's a slight possibility, I suppose, that if you had a very right-wing leader selected, then actually the Conservative Party, even with the support of the DUP, would no longer have a majority in the House of Commons, Mm. which in actually, de facto, it hasn't because of all the mess around Brexit. So you can't assume that the new leader will bring things together. But at the moment, we're assuming that the the, the votes of individual members of Conservative Party will be the the way that the new Prime Minister is chosen. Okay, It's an unenviable task. It's kind of split the party or deliver Brexit or... Well, politics is split, isn't it? I mean, we, you know, and the Euro elections have shown that. I mean, you know, fundamentally, the whole of our society is divided down the line over the question about whether the UK should be in the European Union or not. Mm. And you touched on there that the confidence and supply arrangements that the DUP has uh, with the Conservative Party. And there's talk of that maybe being at risk in the future as well. Well, the the agreement as things stand is that the DUP supports the government uh, for the duration of Parliament. So in other words, until the next general election. But there's not necessarily that much in it for the DUP now because they've got the money um, and most of the money for the Northern Ireland has now been here, come here. um, And they actually reneged, if you like to put it on those terms, on the deal in terms of the withdrawal agreement. And uh, and so there are questions about the extent to which the DUP is really on board with the confidence and supply. But I think you can assume that if there's a right-wing leader now uh, elected, which is obviously the most likely outcome, then the DUP is likely to be supportive. But, I mean, it is worth saying that, um, you know, the European election results and the success of Nigel Farage's Brexit party does push the Conservative Party much more towards selecting a right-winger who will deliver a no-deal Brexit. I mean, my estimate is that it's now a more than 50% chance of a no-deal exit as a result of the European elections in the UK. Okay. And, and let's just have a quick chat about the EU um, election results. Well, perhaps before we do that, Joe, we should just think about who the candidates yeah, are. Yeah, sure. And, and, uh, and what their money? chances are. Well, everyone is saying that Boris Johnson is the most likely yeah. new leader of the Conservative Party. However, the point has been remade, made repeatedly Repeatedly, that actually uh, the, the the most likely winner in the Conservative Party leadership stakes 
is seldom the person who actually wins. Right. Boris Johnson is the favourite, but he's not trusted probably by anyone. But there is clearly within the grassroots membership a feeling that, well, he is the one person that could save the Conservative Party from Nigel Farage and the Brexit Party. So he's clearly the front runner. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean that he will get um, uh, elected. Um, Michael Gove fell out with him uh, last time and that destroyed his chances of becoming leader and that's why Theresa May became leader instead of him. Uh-huh. Uh, that plus the fact, of course, that uh, it was a, a two-horse race in the end between Theresa May and Andrea Leadsom and it didn't go to the membership because Andrea Leadsom then withdrew. Through, yeah. So, uh, you know, th- these things don't necessarily go as you expect. But yeah, clearly Boris Johnson is the favourite. He was the leader, in effect, of the Brexit campaign. Um, and uh, he is likely, you would have thought, on the basis of what he said in the past, to, to favour a no-deal outcome. Mm. Uh, but he is a very pragmatic, you might even say not entirely honest politician, and therefore might change his position once in power. Okay. But some also really well-known faces on there, like Jeremy Hunt, the Foreign Secretary, the Home Secretary, Sajid Javid, mm. Dominic Rav, former Brexit mm. Minister, and, and Adrian Andrea Leadsom herself, who uh, yeah. was involved the last time round. Yeah, and, and most of them would, uh, or several of them anyway, would be quite happy, content to go for a no-deal exit. I mean, mm. Dominic Rab, I mean, it's, I, I find it peculiar, really, that he is one of the front runners because he wasn't in Cabinet for very long. He was the Brexit Secretary. He wasn't uh, a, a particularly successful Brexit Secretary, mm. but he is one of the favoured uh, options, um, and he, I think, would go for a no-deal exit and believes, I think, that after you leave without a deal, then the European Union would then change its negotiating position and agree something more favourable in right. terms of the withdrawal agreement, and in particular, the backstop and the Irish border. So that is his position, and that's very similar to Esther McVeigh, who is the former Work and Pension Secretary, again on the right of the party. Uh, Michael Gove is currently the Environment and Agriculture Secretary, and he is perhaps more pragmatic than the others because he is in government at the moment and has been quite supportive of Theresa May. But he has very strong views on Ireland, and he was one of the most outspoken critics of the Good Friday Agreement. He believed there was a security solution rather than a peace negotiation solution. Uh, so people in Ireland will be very have a close eye on what happens with Michael Gove. And Jeremy Hunt, of course, is is the only person, I think, really, who's said very clearly. Well, no, perhaps uh, not the only one. Uh, Rory Stewart's also said it. But Jeremy Hunt has said quite explicitly that a no-deal exit would be very damaging for the UK. Mm. And on that basis, I think it's unlikely he's going to be the leader. Yeah. Rory Stewart today, interestingly, came out and said a, a citizens' assembly should be called mm. on the, the, the deal that is, is proposed as well. And yeah. he'd put it in the hands of the people that way. Yeah, I, 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 was, I listened to that interview as well. And it's quite impressive. I mean, he's clearly articulating a strong position, which is peculiar because he's only just been chosen as a cabinet minister for the first time. Mm. He's a former army officer if I remember correctly uh, and yes he is he is trying to articulate a strong message in the tradition of what they call one to, one nation Toryism mm. uh, I can't see he's got 
the slightest chance of being uh, on the, the the final two, let alone actually being selected by the membership. But yes, he is. Uh, we are at least hearing different ideas from yeah. him, and you know, we have spoken at length, Gerard, you and I, yeah. about citizens' assemblies. A lot of people believe that those are the way forward within Northern Ireland, especially when we haven't got an assembly functioning at the moment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of people who have said, actually, Gordon Brown has said this as well, that a citizens' assembly would have been a better way of dealing with the Brexit uh, question. Mm. Okay. So moving on then to the election results. Um, we can't look past the Brexit party and the, the impact that they had for for having one line in a manifesto. Mm. They did very well at the poll. Yeah, they got a third of the votes in in Great Britain. Yeah. Um, Conservative Party got about 9%. So yeah, this was an amazing success for the Brexit Party. It was devastating for the Conservative Party and really very damaging indeed for the Labour Party as well. Yeah, The Lib Dems had a good election. They were at around 20%, so less than the Brexit Party. And the Greens also, like, as they did in much of Europe and yeah. in, in the Republic of Ireland. The, the Greens did pretty well as well. Okay. Yeah, but the overall balances, it seems to be... I've not been talking about Leave versus Remain, the, the party's doing well. Uh, so it's not exactly clear-cut, although victory has been claimed by Nigel Farage and co. Well, the division is clear-cut. The the outcome and what that means is not clear-cut. I yeah. mean, so, for example, the Conservative Party, because they were trying to get a withdrawal agreement through with the backstop, they've been hammered. The Labour Party, because it's been trying to keep the two wings of the party together with the Leave uh, constituencies in Northern England, the working class constituencies there, and the the, the more middle class, affluent, uh, more cosmopolitan constituencies in the South, which have uh, been very strong Labour constituencies, they, they failed to try and keep that co- coalition of interests together and that mm. doesn't work clearly in electoral terms um, so the Labour Party can be expected to become more of a Remain party and the Conservative Party to become more of a no deal outcome party yeah. um, which indicates we've got a very divided society in England Yeah, and, and, and it seems that Labour have finally come round and Jeremy Cormitt in particular has finally come round to the idea of a second referendum uh, seems to be on the table again as far as they're concerned. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the Labour Party <laughs> position is. Uh, and that's not because I haven't listened to what they said. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I assume that the Labour Party leadership will give in and admit that the party demands that there will be a second referendum. The terms of those second referendum is in doubt and whether they will ever be sufficiently close to power to actually implement it is in doubt. I mean, I think what these election results show is that the Labour Party, as things currently stand, has no chance really of forming the next government. Mm. Um, and that uh, if you had a general election immediately, if, if the House of Commons now implodes, continues to implode around this, and you then had a general election, I think you would presumably have a Brexit party that either had a majority in the House of Commons or, at worst from their point of view, they could form an, a coalition with the right wing of the Conservative Party. Mm. Um, and as you say, the Brexit Party manifesto only had one line, basically, which was, we will leave yeah. the European Union at the end of October. Um, but... Nigel Farage has said many things in the past about what he believes politically, and that includes the fact that he wants the National Health Service replaced by uh, an insurance uh, model. He he, uh, clearly believes in a low tax... uh, 
economy. Um, and I think we would find that this idea of a more free trade orientated economy involved uh, lower tax levels, possibly lower wages, mm. lower regulation. And that really is the ideology behind Nigel Farage, which we have to remember, of course, is a man who is very close to Donald Trump and mm. has been lauded by Donald Trump, as indeed Boris Johnson has. Yeah. And like Donald Trump, the man has been under investigation recently as well, or his party, his Brexit party, because of the the donations of Aaron Banks, I think it is. What is that going to have an impact on the standing of the party or moving forward well it's interesting isn't it I, I read a newspaper article about this um, yesterday that um, Donald Trump appears not to have been damaged mm. by all the accusations around his associations with Russian disinformation etc um, and the fact that he won't release his tax returns mm. in the same way it would seem that Nigel Farage is undamaged in terms of his uh, supporter support uh, over the criticisms of how his campaigns have been financed. What we yeah. do know is that RM Banks has invested massively in the Brexit party and before that in uh, the, uh, the Leave campaign. Uh, also that there was other money from people who had a vested interest in the outcome. Um, and we also know that uh, there is an investigation not only into whether Aaron Banks properly disclosed, or rather Nigel Farage properly disclosed the money he got from Aaron Banks while he was a European uh, MEP. Mm -hmm. And also though about whether Aaron Banks uh, own financing previously of the Leave campaign was entirely in order or whether it involved the manipulation of company accounts between his businesses in Great Britain and those in the Channel Islands. Okay, okay. So moving closer to home then, uh, we know who the three uh, Northern Ireland MEPs are going to be mm. and for the first time we've had three women and only one unionist as well. Mm. That's right. The Austin Unionist Party had a bad election. They lost 4%. Sinn mm -hmm. Féin actually lost almost as big a percentage of their vote. They lost 3.3% of their vote. So, yes, the Austin Unionist Party will now think about where it's going. I think Sinn Féin will also, especially given that they had a bad local election result in Derry, in the local government elections, I think the Sinn Féin will be continuing their internal reflections about what's happening to them. Mm. But it's a very good result indeed for the Alliance Party. So we yeah. now have three women MEPs. Diane Dodds for the DUP, uh, Martina Anderson for Sinn Féin and Naomi Long for the Alliance Party. Mm, okay. And of course that's two Remainers and one Leave. Yeah, yeah. so I suppose it's a bit reflective of the percentage breakdown of here of the original referendum vote as well. That's right, yes. And I mean, clearly uh, Naomi Long and the Alliance Party gained from Eunice who believed that we should remain within the EU. Mm. And that was, in a sense, the, the, the safe option for Unionists to go to the Alliance Party. Yeah, OK. And then... Broader, it's like we only know at this stage when we're recording this the, of three of the MEPs elected from the Republic of Ireland, so I think it's far too early for analysis there. But broader and the rest of the EU, we've seen the emergence of the Greens and a shift to the right as well, I think. Yeah, the, the, the results across the EU were a bit complex. I mean, mm. what we do know is that the traditional centre-right, often called the Christian Democrats, they've lost ground. The centre-left, the Social Democrats, they've lost significantly. Mm -hmm. uh, in their place, there's an, uh, a resurgence of the Green parties, but also the, the, the further right, the, the, the nationalists, 
they have gained power. What you also see, though, is in the middle, the centre parties, the Liberal parties, have also gained. And part that's to do what's what happened in France. So even though Emmanuel Macron lost out to uh, Marine Le Pen mm. uh, in terms of her far-right party... The fact that his party, La Marche, is a new party means that that grouping is larger. And because of that, that will give Macron additional strength in negotiations within the European Union. It's worth remembering that he was the most hardline leader in uh, basically refusing to give ground to the UK Mm. and saying, well, if they want to go, they should go because they're just messing us around too much. And... What that also means is that he will have a much greater say in who the new president of the European Commission will be. Before these results, it was expected that Weber from Germany would be the new president. It now looks as if Michel Barnier from France will be the new president. Mm. Uh, Ireland has already indicated that they would favour him to take over. He knows very thoroughly the Brexit negotiations. He has led those. He's been highly respected within Europe over these. Uh And I think that if he takes over as president than if there was any hope amongst the Conservative Party that they could renegotiate the deal, I don't think Michel Barnier will wear that. No, no, he's not going to walk back all the work he's just done. Not at exactly. All. Okay, so we're back to the deal still hasn't changed. <laughs> yes, it's a very, very long way of saying nothing really has changed. What has changed is I think the odds in favour of a no-deal outcome have increased. I mean, and just to go back through this, because listeners will think, well, this is weird that I say that when there isn't a majority in the House of Commons for a mm-hmm. no-deal outcome. But there isn't a majority still in the House of Commons for anything. <laughs> and in the absence of anything getting a majority then the default setting is we leave without a deal. And there are a number of MPs that favour that, and a majority of members of the Conservative Party who favour that, who believe that that gives the UK the strongest position if it leaves the EU without a deal, effectively at the end of October. And I think if you're a business or voluntary organisation listening to that, then actually that's what you have to assume is the most likely outcome at this moment. Yeah, plans for no deal. Okay. Well, Paul, thank you for all of that. Um, I think it, this might be... Um, we're going to take a bit of a break for the summer. Um, we're going to calm down a wee bit on the on our Brexit podcast. We're not going to do them every month. Until such a time that something major happens. We couldn't not do one this month. But unfortunately, our, the funding that we received for this uh, podcast came to an end in March. So we've been doing this uh, as a goodwill gesture to our listeners for the last while. Um, but... We're going to step it back because we expect that Brexit might go quiet a wee bit over the summer and then ramp up again September and October as the, the deadline looms. So we'll be back if something major happens. Uh, so keep a, keep an eye out for that and we'll be doing a lot of social media around that too. But also keep an eye out for our other podcast, our Forward Together podcast that we're doing um, funded through the Community Licence Council. Paul, tell us a wee bit about that. Well, we've been interviewing leading civic and political figures uh, across not just Northern Ireland but also the Republic as well to talk uh, talk to them and ask them how do we make progress here Mm -hmm. and you know clearly the the Lyra McKee killing has has accentuated the importance of this conversation we've had really interesting conversations and you you can access them uh, through the Hollywell Trust uh, website and you know we've had them with for example Mike Nesbitt the former leader of the Austinus party the the most recent one is Fergus O'Dowd who is a Fianna Gael TD who has responsibility for liaising with Northern Ireland Ireland. We've also had Mark Durkin. Uh, we've had Claire Sugden, Claire Bailey from the Green Party. 
a number of civic leaders as well. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting selection of different voices where people are saying how things can change. And listen now, you know, we've got some interesting ones coming up, uh, Dennis Bradley, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those conversations, a number of them about citizens' assemblies, which we touched on earlier, about integrated schooling, integrated housing. How do we basically move forward, bringing our different sections of society together. Okay, well, they're really interesting conversations and I think some really good suggestions on there as well and we hope to do a lot more uh, with those conversations. So, Paul, thanks again for today and thank you for listening and keep an eye out for future podcasts and we'll talk to you again soon. The Highwell Podcast Brexit Focus funded by the Community Foundation of Northern Ireland's Brexit Dialogue Fund. Download this program and stream it for free on SoundCloud.com, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher.com. Subscribe, listen, share and enjoy.